Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode, Dangerous World Podcast here. Having some fun with this one because, uh, man, the world is fucked up. Am I right? Uh, I wanted to look into some things that I don't usually look into too often, right? I, uh, I like the hidden history stuff. There's people that do it very, very well. And this is not meant to seem like a historical episode, um, I am not a master of history, N- don't really have any education on it or anything like that, but every once in a while you come across something that really speaks to you and you want to talk about it, especially when you're doing things like uh, running a podcast that is conspiratorial in nature. So when it comes to this Shanghai Jing, I was really, really interested uh, in digging a little deeper and trying to figure out why, even though it's considered to be like one of the most sacred texts of China, why it's simultaneously considered a joke. Um, And what this is, just to break it down, again, not a history lesson. We're going to talk about some dynasties in China. Um, We're going to talk about some historical aspects, but this is not meant to be a history lesson. It's meant to make you think and make you wonder a little bit about where we are, what what the world that we live in is. So um, with that being said, what this is, it's an old, old geographical reference, I guess, or study. I, I mean, it's kind of tough to actually know exactly what it is, but it's considered to be the oldest geography of the world. And um, 2070 BC is, is around when this whole thing was started. And this is before basically every other map was created. The Babylonians are credited with creating somewhat modern day maps. But what do you need to create a map? You need knowledge of geography. And that's what this is. That's what this Shanghai Jing is. Um, Mind-blowing stuff to look into. It makes your brain go all over the place. And it makes you wonder... Why was it taken away? Why was it removed? As you'll see here, it's it's faced some heavy, heavy censorship. And the story that we have within it today, which I'm not even going to get much into the story, because the story is um, mostly plotting points of mountains. Um, the, the version of the mountains that it talks about, because it's split into mountains and seas. Split into Shan and then Hai. Um, Jing just means classic. And when I refer to these things, instead of calling them the Shanjing and the Haijing, I'm going to call it the Mountain Book and the Sea Book, just because I, th- I think that it'll be a little easier to understand here. But in the mountain version of the story, you have a lot of very specific references when it comes to mythical beings and people that live in the areas and so on. And then in the sea version of the book, the second half of it, You don't see as many specifics, but you see a lot of references to the mountain book. And it would be boring to go through the entire thing because it's literally walk this far to the east through sand and then climb up a mountain that is so-and-so tall. Very specific points. Not ramblings of a madman here, right? But who knows? I mean, this could be a big troll. It could be some weird, you know, just false history. As you'll see, and you're probably like, where the fuck are you going with this? You'll see. I think that that this is something that should interest uh, just about everybody that listens to the show and hopefully some new people. You know, if you're a first time listener, this is definitely different than a lot of the stuff that I do, but been all over the place here and uh, trying to have fun doing it. So with that being said, 
I'd like to thank everybody that supports the show, the, the day one homies, the people that support over there on patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast. Love you guys over there very much. If you're interested in hearing all the episodes, go check it out over there. Cheap entry price, $3. Can't beat it. Less than a gallon of gas these days. So uh, check it out. It means a lot to me and uh, the work that is put into the show here. And then, of course, DangerousWorldStore.com. Lots of uh, different products over there if you want to support the show in that manner. So uh, thanks for all that, guys. And uh, thank you for bearing with me through that little introduction of the topic. And uh, let's just roll into it here because you're going to see a a little bit of... um, this work that supposedly, according to some people much smarter than me, also inspired the foundations of Taoism. So uh, Taoism or Taoism, whatever you prefer to call it. But um, it's very, very important, I think, to human history to know a little bit about this work here. So I'm going to do my best to to share some of it here with you. So again, it's the Shanghai King or Shanghai Jing. And um, it literally translates to the classic of mountains and seas. And as I mentioned, it's acknowledged to be the world's oldest geographical recordings by both historians and geographers alike. But for some reason, it's been determined to be a mythological bullshit waste of time. And not to be taken seriously because the creatures that it mentions here. I mentioned something that would be what we would call today cryptids. Uh, snakes with human heads, men without heads, uh, and their their face is in their torso. Their nipples turn into eyes, and their belly buttons turn into mouths and whatnot. Um, again, this could be a, a troll. This could be something that is deliberately put in there in order to discredit the very accurate information that precedes Babylon by three to four hundred years. You know what I mean? Um, this is before we thought that people were able to travel around the world. And um, even the origin of this is is truly a mystery. The author of this book, which I'll mention, actually believes that it's Mexico and the United States. It's not any actually even in China, but it is a, a Chinese piece of work. So that'll get you into all kinds of other theories. And again, hopefully get your brain thinking about like what the hell is going on? What happened? And why is this not taught more? And by the way, the creatures mentioned in this book are often referred to in other cultures around the world in later dates, of course. Um, But yeah, I mean, some of the oldest cryptids, if not the very oldest cryptids that are kind of, you know, referenced by the modern man. And there's no total complete translation in existence of the classic of mountains and seas because it's been censored so heavily throughout history. But there are parts translated in French German and English, um, but even the Chinese here barely read the original version themselves um, or, you know, what we would consider the most original version because it's considered, again, a shitty waste of time. Uh, There's no no point in looking into this because of the, the creatures that couldn't have possibly existed according to mainstream science and mainstream academia and all that shit that has never lied to us in the past. Right. Um. But even though it is considered a waste of time, it's simultaneously considered one of the greatest treasures of Chinese history. So why isn't it studied more? Like I said, it, it, it's, it should be at least referenced as a historical piece. If you're trying to become a mainstream geographer, why not at least be taught about this story and say, hey, you know, this is one of the first things ever written down and it's dumb and there's no point to really studying it. But this is what it is and blah, blah, blah. It's not taught anywhere. And I always find that kind of suspect. But um, some people actually refer to this as the oldest record of man's understanding of the universe in which he lives. And it's referred to as such in this book that I have been reading and where I cited a lot of the initial information from called Gods from the Far East. And it's originally titled Pale Ink, published in 1953 by Henrietta Mertz, M-E-R-T-Z, if you're interested in looking her up. Uh, very, very interesting individual here. And um, the version that I got, this Gods from the Far East, was published, uh, republished, I should say, in 1972. So you kind of wonder um, what have might been, what might have been redacted from the original 1953 version. Because as we'll get into here, and as I'm sure you already know, the elites really like to literally burn books and shape the narrative 
throughout history to something that would be more convenient for them. So, you know, again, I, I hope that it gets you thinking about what this potentially is. And if you have any knowledge on, on this stuff, share it as always. I love getting information. I always try to credit people that share things with me. Uh, this is a fun thing to look into. Um, but there's no clear, clear way to know where this is referenced. Okay. As I mentioned, um, Mertz here believes that this is somewhere in North America, potentially even South America, somewhere not connected to Eurasia, right? This isn't Africa, in her opinion. This isn't Australia. Um, she even thinks that this could potentially be a map of the world. I don't know if I would go that far because it's pretty much agreed upon that this is like a 2,000-mile area, and they don't specify if it's linear or square-mile areas here. Um but that's definitely obviously not the entire world, right? I think the circumference of the world is like 24,000 or 30-something thousand, much bigger than 2,000 miles. Um, this record of this this um, classic of mountains and seas was widely thought to be compiled by you the Great while serving as minister under Emperor Shun. Now, uh, Shun ruled in uh, 2020, uh, I'm sorry, 2255 to 2208 bc and uh then you know you the great comes up during the uh jia dynasty the first major dynasty um which is 2070 or 2050 bc and shun um the the dude that that you was working under ruled in a time when there wasn't any major dynasties there was uh it was ran a little bit different back then and i'll get into that briefly here in just a second but um, I, I really did want to stress that whether this record was created under you, which is widely agreed upon, but the date's never mentioned here, because if the date was mentioned, it would expose the idea that, yeah, you the great ruled in 2150. It says uh, from at least Wikipedia here even, which, you know, say what you will, but they do have some interesting uh, and, and somewhat accurate mainstream history lessons here. 2150 to 2106. BC. So they can't say that date, even though you is credited with this stuff, um, because that that just ruins the narrative when uh, when when they're trying to say that Babylonians created the first credible maps. Um, there is some disputes of you know maybe this this came to existence in the 1100 BC era, 500 BC era, 400 BC, 300, 200, you know, some people even say AD, which is total bullshit. But uh very very contested and f again, fun to think about, man. You know, why why would this be so censored? Why is uh why is this the case, you know? But what we're even trying to be able to understand in modern times here uh, regarding the classic of mountains and seas has been censored heavily through the ages. And um, it's really, really impossible to know the entirety of the contents. But it's interesting to think that this old book had some massive amounts of knowledge regarding the place that we live, regarding this realm that we're in. And regarding the censorship here, more recently in the 5th and 13th centuries A.D., Consolidations of books were imposed by emperors of their times in order to save space in libraries and schools. Now, if you ask me, I think that the reason for these consolidations is to remove history or to alter history to favor someone, right? I don't know if the one world government was around back then. I have my hunches for sure. But, you know, why why not take a little bit of credit for this classic of mountains and seas? Why make it look like this Looney Tune story and make it lose all credibility? Because once you start talking about humans with, you know, or snakes with human heads and all kinds of weird shit like that, the future people are not going to believe in that stuff. And I'm sure that they knew that, you know, um, but the 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 idea of them just wiping out all of this knowledge to save space, I think, is laughable. Um the books of this 5th century consolidation were burned to remake simpler versions in the 13th century. So even those consolidated versions had to be done away with. There was too much in there, I, I feel, that would contradict 
what the mainstream narrative of history is supposed to be. And then um, the 13th century, we have a lot of these old books that are highly edited and shortened versions from even then. But, you know, it's um, it's tragic to think that there was some serious work done to pass knowledge and to make knowledge more well-known. But for some reason, we're not allowed to see certain things like that. And the classic of Mountains and Seas plays a huge role with that. Before the 5th century consolidation of knowledge here, you have um, a, a big book burning in China. And this went on in 213 BC under Qin Shi Huang. And I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He's long gone, so he's not going to be offended. But um, Qin Shi Huang and his premier, uh, Lei Shi. And uh, Lei Shi was the one that suggested to him that we should burn the books because uh, Qin Shi Huang was apparently a pretty shitty leader. He he got like a, a sort of like a, a an old fashioned one China policy going. People didn't like him. There was two um, assassination attempts on him, and after the second assassination attempt, they decided, hey, we don't want anyone to compare our rule over any leaders present, uh, you know, past, future. We need to erase this shit. We're not doing the right thing here. Let's just start over, historically speaking. And they did that. Um, Li Shi recommends let's burn the books. Let's get rid of this knowledge. Uh, let's get rid of historical record. So anything that didn't have to do with agriculture, astronomy, and medicine, some of the other sciences of that day, were burned. History, burned. Geography, burned. All this stuff is gone. You know, we're starting over in 213 BC. And um, there's this hero of sorts, this, this really interesting Book of Eli figure, in my opinion, uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's uh, very, very similar to what, what happens here with this Fu Sang and uh, a gentleman named Fu Sang. And uh, he hid his copy of the classic of Mountains and Seas, which it sounds like they were on tablets, um, hides this thing in his house, in, in the walls of his home to avoid them from being completely forgotten. Um, but in some weird, cruel twist of fate, his house burns down and years uh, years later, it's all destroyed. The 32 tablets of the original text are lost. And um, there, there's there's just no recollection of this anymore, right? There, there's no, that was the last copy of this book um, or the, these tablets, I should say. It's funny to think that books were written on like tablets of some kind. This is the last version and it's gone. And um, like I said, on some real Book of Eli shit, decades later, in 178 BC, when Fu Sang is 90 years old, imagine that a 90 year old man in the BC era is commissioned by the emperor of the time named Wen of Han to rewrite from memory what he could of the old classic of mountains and seas. And apparently he writes the 32 books, right? So where where did all of these go? Well, remember the consolidations of knowledge that happened way later in the 5th fifth, fifth and 13th centuries AD, they consolidated those down to 18 for some reason. So this man, this 90-year-old man, writes this stuff down from memory, right? It was apparently a book that he was really passionate about too because it was the only one that he saved, according to the story. Saves this book and apparently probably reads it every day and then, you know, ends up ends up trying to rewrite it. But this is where people start to get real skeptical and they say, well, couldn't he have just added in the weird monsters and all these, you know, cryptids and all this stuff? I don't know. I, I don't see if if he would do this because like honor is a huge, huge thing in China. Right. I don't think the guy was trolling. I really don't. Um, people, especially back then, wanted to be like a part of history and wanted to do the right thing. And, and I just don't see it. I think that it's too convenient to just say that this guy wanted to be a goof, you know, pull a big goof on this on this book that he clearly cared about. Why would he why would he want to edit the text and make it so that no one would pay attention to it? So kind of seems like a big slap in the face of uh, Mr. Fu Sang here. But uh, and I think that that would be Mr. Fu, right? Don't like wouldn't it be like in English? It would be Sang Fu because they say their last name first, right? I think I think they go like that. 
that's irrelevant, but still just, you know, this guy doing all this work to try and, and continue the legacy of this story. And it's completely forgotten and, and completely not cared about anymore. And, um, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but the, the idea of this work really being the foundational document of Taoism is also an interesting idea, right? Um, Taoism or Taoism being one of these spiritual religions that I really don't like. Um, I'm not against any Taoist or Taoist out there or any Buddhist or Confucius or Hinduist or anything. I just think that, uh, you know, a lot of those people of those religions are very led astray and, uh, the idea of Taoism here ties so tightly in with the the different spirituality that I've been bitching about for a while now. And um, it, it, as far as that goes, you know, the, the classic of mountains and seas is thought by some to be the cosmological model, which was intended to build on by later travelers, by later um, students of geography. And it was also thought to have inspired this Taoist sacred geography and a lot of Taoism as a whole. So classic Taoist philosophy formulated by Laozi, um, L-A-O-Z-I, Laozi the Old Master, began in the 5th century B.C. Remember, the, I mentioned the 5th century B.C. just a second ago. This is right around the first consolidation of knowledge, the hiding of much of the information in the original classic of Mountains and Seas. Again, written off someone's memory, but still what we can consider to be a hard record of this knowledge. So, I don't know, I just found that to be a hell of a coincidence. And the book, uh, you know, a book containing old knowledge and sacred information is burned and then, you know, told today to be mythology, but a significant and, and a pretty large religion and a way of life is spawned out of that at the same time. Doesn't that, isn't that a little suspicious? You know what I mean? It's, it's too coincidental in my opinion. And not only that, but remember when I was talking about the Freemasons just a couple episodes ago, the Freemasons use the yin-yang symbol often. And, you know, how it's considered to be one of the oldest symbols of witchcraft because it represents duality. It has that dark side and that light side. The dark representing uh, femininity. That is the yin side, right? Femininity. Um, darkness, obviously, earth, all those things. And then the yang side, the light, because they remember, they read right to left. Um, the light side representing masculine energy, good, pure um, divinity, not earth, but divinity, uh, time and space and things like that. And that yin yang is the most recognizable Taoist symbol. That is a Taoist symbol. So, it's a witchcraft symbol. It's a Taoist symbol. It's a pagan symbol. It's a symbol of misinformation and the, this mystic shit, right? It, it's telling you one thing and doing another. It's uh, it's tied in closely with this map. Weird enough, right? And along with the five phases, uh, which are wood, metal, water, earth, and fire, um, these are very basic foundations of Taoism, along with that yin-yang, and you might make further connections here in your own mind when you hear about like the five mountain rangers, ranges, uh, specifically in the Shai Jing, which I'm going to refer to the Shai Jing as the mountain book, as I said, and the Hai Jing will be referred to as the water book. So when I say those, this is where the Shan Hai Jing comes from. Um, and combining of the two, just to, to be clear there, I don't want to throw in all these Chinese words. The, uh, the, the Aztec gods were enough to get me just to be like, all right, let's just use English versions of these words now. We'll call, uh, you know, Tlaloc the rain god and we'll call Quetzalcoatl like, you know, the good guy and all this shit. We're not gonna, we're not gonna get into, uh, all these crazy names again here. But, um, as you probably know, I've been trying to find fives in, Eastern religion that are significant. I mean, I'll look in Western religion too, but the Eastern religion is more spiritual in its foundation and um, try to find how they pertain to the fifth Buddha, Maitreya. And um, I mean, again, that spiritual leader of the United Nations, the one that the spiritual leaders are trying to get the world to worship. 
and I found quite a few fives there. The first one already being mentioned, uh, uh, other than the mountains, but the five phases, right? The wood, the metal, the water, the earth, the fire. That's another five. Five is very significant in these Eastern religions, and the pentagram is very well represented throughout Western and Eastern religion. Um, But yeah, I want to kind of just say this too. Taoism, for you you who may not be so familiar with it, I'm not the most familiar with it, you know, as as most of these things that I begin to start digging into. Um, Taoism is a religion that's all about spirituality, prides itself on, you know, conforming to your surroundings, being like water, moving with the, the way the world goes. And it may have been a great way to be. In theory, it sounds good. You know what else sounds good? In theory, communism. Communism sounds like a great idea right? It really does. Everyone shares, everyone's equal, but people exploit these things. If you're going to try and form with the society around you, the leaders, which will never go away, okay, they will always, always force more and more out of you. So again, this may have been a good idea back when these people were like hiding in forests and living in in mountains and waterways and things like that. With the government the size that it is today, that is a problem when you just try to conform to society. And a lot of these conspiracy people would agree with that, but they think that spirituality is a good thing, okay? I'm not going to just spend this whole episode beating on spirituality like I have been for the past few episodes, but I've made that very clear that I have a problem with that idea of just conform, conform to these tyrannical government policies, conform to the idea that your rights can be attacked and conform to the attack on your rights as a whole, conform, 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 conform all the way to the grave, just conform to your death, right? I mean, it's something that I get passionate about. I do not like this because it's sold in a way that's that's that acts like it's noble to do this. Keith Rainier, great cult leader, right? Came to people nicely. The devil, if it's real, comes to you nicely. It doesn't say, yeah, I'm going to fuck you for eternity in fire and you're going to be pain in pain, and you're going to suffer and all this shit, it comes to you saying you'll have everything that you ever wanted. It sounds good, but it's not. The hard truth is usually a little hard. But yeah, it ends up being good in the long run. That whole idea of like what's easy is not right, usually. The hard path is oftentimes what you should be doing, right? I'm not saying that you should spend a life of uncomfort, and you should spend a life of paranoia. I'm not saying that. There should be a balance here at some point. But I find more and more that these spiritual people are anything but. And they're just following in the footsteps of other people. And it's a big problem of mine, clearly. Um, but yeah, the idea of of Taoism is kind of along the lines of don't spend any time thinking for yourself. Even though it portrays itself as being very independent, very self-centered. All that matters is yourself, right? Don't raise concern. Don't get involved with the outside. Just channel all your energy inward and become godlike. That's kind of the idea here, okay? Just like much of spirituality, it focuses on the self. It focuses on you and that's it, which is important. I won't say that it's not important to focus on yourself. The self-care shit, all that stuff is good, but I think it's taken far too far these days, far too far. And it's no coincidence that the um, rise in spirituality is going on while the people in this world are allowing it to go to shit, right? There's, there's no, there's, there's definitely a coincidence with that. There, people are focusing on themselves more. They're becoming more vain. They're obsessed with social media and promoting themselves. And when that happens, powerful people, which again are going to be here in the very near future, we'll be making all of your decisions for you. So think about that. There's this quote that's really, really perfect from a site that I was trying to learn about Taoism a little bit more. And it's not some like, you know, right wing or hardcore Christian thing. It's asiasociety.org. And in no way was this a criticizing of Taoism on the site, but it absolutely proves my point here. The direct quote from asiasociety.org is this. Throughout Chinese history, people weary of social activism and aware of the fragility of human achievements would retire from the world and turn to nature. 
They might retreat to a countryside or a mountain setting to commune with natural beauty. They would compose or recite poetry about nature or paint a picture of the scene, attempting to capture the creative forces at the center of nature's vitality, and they might share their outing with friends or more rarely a spouse. And make it a point to say more rarely a spouse. Getting a bit of wine and enjoying the autumn leaves or the moon. The moon is definitely referenced here, I think, intentionally. And this goes back as a whole. What I just broke down right there is nature worship. The Wicca shit, the pagan shit, what we call today the new age. Brought on by your favorite uh, witch, Helena Blavatsky, right? The idea, I mean, you're not supposed to worship the creation. You're supposed to worship the creator or you're supposed to worship the universe if you don't want to go as far as believing in a creator. That's fine. I'm not telling you what to worship, but I'm saying if you think that worshiping nature is not worshiping Lucifer and falling victim to the Satanistic ways, I mean, I'm not trying to get preachy here, but that is literally what the Freemasons say it is. And that's what Helena Blavatsky says. That's what Alice Bailey says. That's what Foster Bailey says. That's what all of these theosophists and all of these people that promote the one world religion, which you act like you hate, right? And maybe you do hate it. And maybe you don't get behind the idea of doing yoga during a full moon and shit like that. But it's stupid to think that nature worship is good. Even my father, okay, I'm going to tell a little story real quick. My father is not a religious man. He's not a spiritual guy. Um, very just kind of a grounded in reality person, right? Not a big conspiracy theorist either, but he used to be a pretty big hunter, okay? Now, you'd think when you go out and you kill something, as a child, you would think, man, you, you got to be really thankful for that deer, right? And you're not thankful for the deer. You're thankful, and, and even him, again, not a religious man, he was thankful for God giving him the strength and the steady hand and the ability to kill this animal. And he thanked God for the animal. He didn't thank the animal for its sacrifice, which is what these new age people would do. They worship the creation, not the creator. And that is a big, big point of contention with modern day religion. Again, not trying to be preachy, but I've went over several episodes regarding the Freemasons and regarding the Lucius Trust that say this exact thing. You're falling into the one world religion, even though you think you're being independent when you're worshiping nature. And I'm not saying don't fucking get out and walk around in nature and admire the beauty. But think about what created that beauty, not the beauty itself. It's tough to do. When you look at a beautiful sunset, you're like, fuck, that is wild. That is really interesting to look at, right? Or when you see a pretty flower, some fucking weirdos will sit there and like worship the flower or hug the tree, right? It's just, I'm going off on a tangent here, but this stuff is is very, very sneaky in the way that they lay it down in all of these fucking spiritual religions. So anyway, um, (laughs) Chinese utopian stories are also mostly based on Taoist ideas here. And to be clear, Taoism is Taoism. Uh, You know, I know that I mentioned that. The spelling variations get lost in translation uh, translation here. Um, Tao means road. And um, Taoism is called the path. They refer to it as the path or sometimes the other path. Um, Now, Tao is pottery. So you would think, uh, you know, thinking about it logically, road is closer to path. The path meaning Taoism, not not Taoism necessarily. Um, They're obviously interchangeable, but this is why I call it Taoism, even though you've probably heard of Taoism more often. Um, They... They also, like I said, they refer to it as sometimes the path, but a lot of times the other path they refer to themselves as because it survived alongside Confucianism throughout its existence. And the other path brings up the idea of the left-hand path to me, right? The left-hand path obviously being that new age path. Um, I don't think that it particularly, particularly has anything to do with right versus left in politics here in the United States. Um But there is something to be said about the way that the left here in the U.S. moves and the policies of the left where, you know, they they worship the the creation rather than the creator. Right. So 
the right, obviously more more pro uh, religion and pro God and pro nuclear family and family values and conservatism, right? Even though we're losing that a, a lot right now, um, I see Taoism as the other path, as the left hand path. Change my mind? I bet you can't. But you know, look into it yourself and and come to your own conclusion. Um, but within Taoism, there's basically two worship rituals. One's idol worship, and then the other is invisible spirit worship. And the idol worship uses uh, statues and great gods and deities, while invisible spirit worship uses spirit mediums who go into trans-like states when they worship. So that's interesting, right? And exorcism is actually a key component of Taoism, if you look into that. So... Again, something to think about when it comes to this. And again, you might wonder why we're talking about Taoism so deeply here. It's because it is pretty much widely agreed upon, you know, amongst people that really dive into the classic of mountains and seas, that the inner workings of that and the symbolism hidden within that inspired Taoism. So there's something really significant about this map that is simultaneously called a joke and sacred, right? Again, that's a little duality for you. That's a yin-yang for you. It's a joke, but it's very serious. <laughs> um, Taoists worship the nine emperor gods in the nine emperor gods festival, which is nine days long. You get your nine, nine, nine there. Six, six, six inverted. Uh, very, very sneaky way to say that this is the right way. Nine is the number of man, though. We must remember that. Nine is the number of man. 999 is often referred to as a positive thing. It's 666 inverted, um, very powerful and positive number, but I think that that's a huge farce. Nine being the number of man. Man is imperfect. Do not worship man. Do not put idols on pedestals. Get it together here, right? I fucking sound real preachy right now, but this is just something that that I get I get passionate about. I hate the deception that goes on with this stuff because it's very in your face. Once you start seeing the symbolism just a little bit and you can fucking think for yourself, you see that this is all deliberately done throughout centuries to fool you. You know what I mean? It's here just to fool you. A lot of this stuff is. Um, devotees of Taoism will often take on vegetarian diets during this time of the Nine Emperor Gods Festival, and they do this to achieve ritual cleansing. Nothing wrong with that. I don't have any kind of problem with cleansing. And I, again, if you want to do any of this shit, go for it. But just don't think that you're being righteous in doing so, right? This isn't righteous shit. If you want to do a cleanse, go for it. I think that that's great. I wish I had the strength to do, to do that shit. I just don't. Um... But yeah, I don't know. It, it is just, um, man, I get like into a fucking zone when I start talking about that stuff. I hate, I hate that deception, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a problem that I, uh, I need to work on getting so angry about that. But, um, before the Zhao dynasty, uh, the most common worship was worship of the gods. But then once the Zhao dynasty came to power, um, ancestor worship became more and more important. And this is again, where the uh, Taoism ties in. And I wanted to give you a little simple breakdown of Taoism. Um, again, the idea may seem loose to you of how the classic of mountains and seas is the foundational document of Taoism. But again, people much smarter than me say this. You know what I mean? And um, by looking into it for a little bit here, a few days, uh, kind of doing you know my best attempt at a deep dive here, I come to the same conclusion, um, not because I'm led there, but because I, I see that myself. It, it's pretty clear looking into the the symbolism within and, um, again, just that deception, that, that idea that this is a positive thing to retreat into the fucking forest when the world burns around you. Conform to that. Enjoy the pain, right? Uh, um, <laughs> let's get back into a little more of the, uh, the Shanghai Jing because... Uh, like I said, there is uh, just so much here and we're going to barely scratch the surface, but I will be revisiting this topic because I'm, I'm in the process of going through the entire book that I mentioned, the uh, gods from the Far East. And really the idea that the the Mexicans and the Mesoamericans are the Asians, same same people. Um, 
That's not meant to sound racist. I'm not the one that came up with this damn theory. And again, I don't know if I mentioned it in, in this recording. I think I was actually talking with a friend when I said this. But yeah, it is absolutely like fact now. You know what I mean? You can go find on mainstream sources that the um, you know Mesoamericans have Asian foundations. So crazy man the future constantly is uh or i should say the past is constantly changing and that's going to obviously change the way that we look at the uh the future and uh and the past similarly right um but yeah so uh, back to the shanghai jing here um it consists of uh of two parts as i kind of alluded to earlier the shanjing which i'm calling the book of mountains and then the haijing which i'm calling the book of seas and that's going to be the way that it's referred to um for the rest of the episode here the first, the classic of mountains, deals with geography of interior lands identified by mountain ranges. And then the second outlines islands in the seas surrounding mainland in four directions, right? North, south, east, west. Um, they actually further break it down into eight. You got your cardinal directions and then the, the divisions of those, uh, northeast, all that shit, right? Um, Northeast is like the only one I know, right? <laughs> I was going to list them all, but I'm like, ah, fuck it. You know what I'm talking about here. Um, the Book of Seas subdivides again into the Haiwai Jing, which is known as the classic beyond the seas, the Hainai Jing, which is known as the classic of within the seas, and the final one here being the Duang Jing, the classic of the great wilds. Now, these names are really interesting, especially if you have seen the uh, flat earth map with the extra territories outside of that, right? You have your your standard flat earth map with the ice wall and then further territories with different oceans and continent like, like you know, natural structures out there. Um, when you hear the idea of the classic within the seas, you think something within the ocean, right? Something within the waters, and then the classic of beyond the seas. What the hell could that mean? You know what I mean? That could mean some extra territory stuff, right? And then the idea of the the classic of the great wilds, um, uh, that could mean anything. That could mean whatever you want it to mean, right? So this is definitely an interesting concept. And again, five books, five total books of this thing, which you're initially meant to, to believe that it's split up into two parts, right? And it is two main parts, but within that second part, the Book of the Seas, it is split further into three, creating a total of five. So you get five here again, the five uh, phases within Taoism, the five um, parts of this this extraordinary book um, or extraordinary work, I should say, that inspired the Taoism. And then, I mean, the the fives keep picking up throughout all of these things. So um, this is this is becoming more and more of an influential work for sure, not only inspiring some, you know, intelligent people that create these these maps that um, take some ingenuity. Right. And maybe they don't even know that these things are inspiring them. But, you know, this is definitely the first one that's done that. Right. It was talking about the land beyond the land. And I understand that the technology then um, didn't allow them to see these extra territories, right? So if they were in Mexico, they wouldn't have known about Florida, right? Um, they wouldn't have known about some of these areas, even though Florida is a bad example because it's pretty well known that Florida was part of um, the Mesoamerican Empire and whatnot. But let's say, uh, you know, Hawaii or China or, or, you know, Africa or any of these things, they wouldn't have known of those things. So... With that being said, maybe this is possible today still where we think that we know all the accessible areas that man can go. But if technology just moves a little bit into the future, which it is doing so quickly, we might be able to change our map. And and maybe this map with the extra territories will be looked at the same way, you know, thousands of years from now, that this was the original futuristic more modern day modern let's say it's you know 7000 year year 7020 and they're looking back at the way that we thought that we were just on this tiny little area and there was no accessible areas outside of that 
that's kind of the way that I think of this work here, the classical mountains, mountains and seas. Influencing a lot of shit. Very, very much so. And it is mind-blowing to try and wrap your head around it. Um, but this uh what's interesting too, among several other things, obviously, I keep I, I feel like interesting is the word of the day here. You have the idea of the way that this is mapped. The world envisioned in the book here encompasses a center of mountainous terrain encircled by layers of seas and wild lands. It's exactly what I'm talking about here, okay? Now, the final um, book of the seas, right? The, the book within the seas seems again envisioned as a center of the outer seas. But the center being lost throughout the ages is not clearly located. And I think that that's really important here. We can't really determine where the center of all of this is. And there is... Among many debates here, there's one that's that's pretty darn interesting. Um, the the idea that the work goes from outside in, the further outside from this undetermined center point is covered first in the works, and then it zeroes in on the center point throughout these 18 books. So in all of the remaining 18 segments of the work, the first book talks about the outermost sides, right? And then it funnels into the center point. So it goes almost opposite of the way you would think. It zeroes in from outside to in, right? And it actually starts at the southern point, right? Like due south. And then it goes in a counterclockwise circle, closing in on its area. Um, So that's an interesting idea, kind of backwards from the way that you think that this would have normally been done. And another thing that is debated here is just the idea of Jing in Shanghai Jing, normally meaning classic. And this is where we get that classic of Shan, mountains, and seas. Um, uh, what is that, Jing? Uh, no, I'm sorry, Hai. Uh, I don't know Chinese, so I gotta you got to learn with me here. Shan being mountains, Hai being seas, and uh, classic traditionally meaning Jing. But the people that study the language have come to argue that Jing back then meant route or guideway. So this would be really interesting if this was the case because it would mean that the intention of the original creator of the work would have not wanted this to be any kind of mythology whatsoever. It would actually be a literal map, right? Something to, again, base further geography off of. I know I'm a broken record here. Why the fuck is this called sacred geography if it's also called a joke? It's stupid. I mean, we got to think about that. Seriously, that is a a big point of contention with this. Um, but yeah, and, and the, the idea of it being a route or a guideway would also kind of stem from uh, or feed the theory, I should say, that Taoism is absolutely founded off of this because Tao means road or path, right? Now, Tao, again, means pottery, but if this is a Jing route, right, then it would be a Tao route, a Tao path. It's just a different way to say it over the different ages. Again, we're talking thousands of years apart from, you know, the way that language would clearly change, right? So, again, this is, you know, in my opinion, definitely meant to be a literal map. Um but yeah, there is a very sharp division within the two main books here, the the Book of Mountains and then the uh, Book of Seas. The Mountains, um, it has a list of mountain routes for each of the five territories, okay? Now, we're not sure if this is talking about the five world mountain ranges, the Himalayas, um, what else? We got the Rockies, the, uh, where's the one? The Himalayas, the Rockies, there's one in Australia, uh, the Alps right? These massive mountain ranges. Um, we're not sure if it's that or if it is something broken down into a specific continent. Again, probably North America here. Um, but each route provides distances between the mountain ranges together with very detailed information on the local deities, the auspicious and inauspicious creatures, and then wondrous and strange animals, ordinary animals, Flora, right? Flowers, fauna, 
um, medicinal herbs and animals, minerals, rivers, all the creatures within all of those atmospheres, right? And then um, occasional information on the climate within the mountain book. And then the um, the creature's legitimacy is obviously a point of contention that, you know, that, that kind of is, is what I said when I refer to the baby being thrown out with the bathwater just because there's some mention of some creatures here that don't make sense to the modern person doesn't mean that we can't at least fucking research this this work, right? Um, the schools of thought surrounding the work battle about the 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 idea of the more grounded work versus the the more fantastical shit. But there's a really, really interesting theory presented in this book that when the foreign territories are referred to, right? Because they say this over and over again, the foreign territory here, foreign territory there, all this shit. Whenever a foreign territory is referred to, those areas hold these strange spirit creatures. Now, I don't know if maybe they ate some weird some weird shrubs or some weird herbs, right? And then they started seeing some shit. It sounds weird to you, I'm sure. And again, I told you at the beginning, this is not the typical shit that I get into. But I actually do believe that some of what we call mythical creatures used to exist. I will say it right now. I'm not sold on the idea that they still do. But I think unless that that Fusang dude was just an epic troll, this stuff has to be taken somewhat seriously at the very least, right? Um, and not like tongue in cheek, like, yeah, this is classic, but it's also stupid. Um, I think it's, it's unfortunate, but, um, I think that, that a lot of these things were actually potentially seen by people, these, uh, these snakes with human heads and, and all these weird things. It's very possible, very possible. Um, obviously the creatures aren't the important part of this, but you know, it, it's the sexy thing. It's the interesting stuff, but the truly important shit is if this is when man discovered officially what kind of realm we're in here and what that means for our existence as a whole, the society, right? Um, by throwing these weird animals in there, it, it could be a really good way to discredit the entire work. And although I tend to believe that these things are part of the actual translation, um, with the the knowledge that we have of book burning, it's definitely possible that they could have just been thrown in to discredit the more you know, esoteric work and the more important shit of where we are in the universe and what this means and and all this stuff. And then the work goes on to uh, talk about anecdotes on legends and myths involving mountain deities and ancient heroes that are kind of dispersed among these routes. And humans are hardly mentioned. Um, really, it, it seems to be more significantly these weird creatures. Um Almost every mountain route ends with a short description of the ritual and sacrificial offerings that were offered to the uh, individuals of this area, such as like animals and jades um, and what, what was offered to the god of that mountainous area. And then the sea book, by a sharp contrast, um, mentions more people and races that live in these different areas while leaving out talk of animals and strange spirit entities Um no rituals are mentioned here in this in this uh, sea book, but um, most of the stories from the mountain book are referenced at one point or another as in saying, like, see this story to relate to these people here and how they relate to that God. For some reason, they the gods and the people are kept very separate. The gods more more referenced in the mountain book, the people more referenced in the sea book. So found that to be one of the again many interesting things here and um just this th what this does here and and i think that why this is so beautifully done is that it creates a connection between the two books the mountain and sea books on a supernatural plane and the sea books also um do not mention any kind of distances whereas the mountain book was very specific down to like the the foot it sounds like down to very, very specific things, very specific details. And so what I think would be kind of cool to do here is go through some of the examples in this book, Gods from the Far East, um, reading directly out of the classic of Mountains and Seas, 
the fourth book specifically here, the author lists some uh, some passages and then some of her own notes on why her theory of these quote unquote Chinese people making this map of North America rather than China, um, why that would actually stand up here. And it's pretty damn interesting. So check this out. So the first example here out of the fourth book, um, the classic of the Eastern Mountains. Uh, the beginning of the classic of the Eastern Mountains says the Shushu Mountain on its northern side adjoins Kan Mai Mountain or Sunless Mountain. Shi River or drinkable water is found here, a stream that flows northeasterly into the sea. And in there are many water animals called Yung-Yung. Those look like brindled cattle, i.e. they resemble cattle that are striped like tigers, uh, like a brindle pit bull if you've seen something like that, right? And their voices sound like the gruntling of swine. Okay. Now her note and what she what she comes to the conclusion here is she says a peak 5,930 feet tall, 20 miles due west of Casper, Wyoming, appears to be the Shushu Mountain. On its northern side, it adjoins the Bighorn Range. The Shi River, or drinkable water, is the Sweetwater River, which here joins the North Plate and flows northeasterly eventually into the Mississippi and the sea, right? That's pretty damn good. Now, the animals, which in color are like brindled cattle, are probably beaver or otter. Pretty damn interesting, to say the least. And now, the uh, second example of many here, um, and it says 300 li to the south, which li seems to be their unit of measurement. Um, 300 li to the south, Lay Mountain, or the Mountain of Creeping Plants, is to be found. Upon this, there are gems, and below it, there is gold. Who River is found here, and a stream that flows easterly into Shi River, the or Shi River, whatever, um, the, from the first example. Um, in this, there are many Hao Shi. These are tadpoles, and the book uh, entitled the Rei Ya calls them Huo Tung. Now, uh, I'm getting some good Chinese vocabulary in here. Her note says this, says 100 miles due south, Medicine Bow Peak, 12,005 feet is found. Gold and semi-precious gems are plentiful in the area, and the Hu River is a small tributary flowing down the eastern slope of Medicine Bow uh, Peak, emptying into the Laramie, which um, flows easterly into the North Plate. So, um, again, another good example there. Now, uh, in this one here, uh, third example, we have, and I'm not going to go through all of these. I'll probably post pictures of them, but um, I'll go through a couple here just to try to prove a point. Um, the third example says, and it says that 300 Li to the south, Ketch Wang Mountain or Aspen Mountain is to be found. Upon this, there are many gems and much gold, and below it, many green jade stones. Wild animals are found there, which look like dogs with six legs. That's wild. These are called Sung Sung, the name being given uh, the name being given to them in imitation of their war cry. Birds are also found there which look like domestic fowls, but which have hair like a rat. There are these are called Tsi's rats. When they are seen, the country is subject to great drought. The Chi River is found here, a stream flowing northernly into Hu River. In this, there are many lancet fish. These are of dark color, spotted or striped with blue, and have, uh, and have a bill like a lancet. These were originally found in the Eastern Sea, and they are now found in the Kiangtung River also. Those who eat them are not subject to epidemic disease. Okay, so that's interesting. It sounds like these are either some medicinal things or some sort of weird mystical creature, right? And she says, 100 miles south, again, very, very similar to that 300 Li that was mentioned before, and then the 100 miles uh, mentioned in the note of the second example. 100 miles south, Aspen Mountain is probably Long's Peak, Colorado, okay? Now, mile after mile of the most spectacular golden leaf aspen trees stretch clear across Colorado. Truly an unforgettable sight. 
even to the Chinese, gold, as is well known, abounds in the area from Steamboat Springs to Cripple Creek. I've been to Steamboat Springs. Mottled green jade, such as is known in Mexico, comes from this region. The Chi River is a fork of the Laramie, which flows north. The two rivers, one from Medicine Bow and the other from Long's Peak, join. As the Chinese noted, identification of the fish, rainbow or speckled trout, or any other will be left to the fishermen of Colorado. The birds with hair like a rat may be bats. <laughs> Pretty interesting, right? Uh, the fourth one is a very short one here. And it says that 300 li to the south, Pshtan Mountain is found. And there's no grass or trees and no water. And her note here and her idea of what this is, is four or five major peaks, approximately 100 miles. Well, you know what to do if you're interested in hearing more about gods from the Far East and the account of the author and her thoughts um, on just some of this wild, weird stuff that was uh, talked about probably about 2,000 years ago, right? Um, head on over to patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast. We get into more of that and then uh, also touch on how mainstream science has had to admit that a lot of the stuff that was thought to be fringe was actually, uh, it turned out to be true. So head on over there, guys. Thanks for your support. Hope to see you there. <laughs>